You're listening to the Cyberwire Network, powered by N2K. And now a word from our sponsor, SpyCloud, the leader in operationalizing cybercrime analytics. Traditional threat intelligence is a thing of the past. Cyber criminals are stealing vast amounts of credentials, session cookies, and financial data every day, and it's hard to keep up. SpyCloud is the trusted partner businesses turn to to fully understand their darknet exposure risk and neutralize threats before it's too late. SpyCloud alerts your organization as soon as an employee or customer's data appears on the darknet, so you can act faster than bad actors to prevent cyber attacks like ransomware, session hijacking, account takeover, and online fraud. With insights from the industry's largest repository of recaptured data, protect the digital identities and systems most important to your business. Get your free corporate darknet exposure report at spycloud.com slash cyberwire and see what information criminals have in their hands today. That's spycloud.com slash cyberwire. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the CyberWire's Research Saturday. I'm Dave Bittner, and this is our weekly conversation with researchers and analysts tracking down the threats and vulnerabilities, solving some of the hard problems and protecting ourselves in a rapidly evolving cyberspace. Thanks for joining us. You know, the, the first case that I, I got when I uh, moved over to Permiso was with uh, this threat actor. Um, and it was a, a very interesting threat actor in the sense that it didn't look anything like what we typically see. Not a lot of automation, uh, a lot of GUI tools, and uh, a lot of mistakes along the way that were kind of funny that stood out. That's Ian All, Senior Vice President of Permiso's P0 Labs. The research we're discussing today is titled Unmasking GUIville, Financially Motivated Cloud Threat Actor. But effectively still able to be super effective at uh, doing their uh, main mission, which was was crypto mining in this environment. So thousands of dollars of resources from the client used. Uh, for you know, very small gains uh, on the crypto mining side, you know, about $7 a day in one instance. But they were able to spin up so much infrastructure that it was very impactful to our client. Hmm. Well, before we dig in too deep, just uh, selfishly, I, I want to uh, tip my hat to you and your colleagues for actually including pronunciation guidance in your research here. Uh, so often, as uh, everybody who's listening to this who's into cybersecurity knows, there'll be some interesting, fun, uh, unique name for something, and nobody has any idea how to pronounce it. And I find that often I am one of the people whose job it is to pronounce it. So... Thank you for taking the guesswork out of that. Uh, just, again, selfishly, I, I appreciate it. And uh, for you and for everyone else who's listening, please do more of that. <laughs> yeah, that's uh, great. You know, with uh, naming's actually been kind of a controversial subject uh, lately for groups. Um, and I figured, uh, you know, I tried to make everybody mad by doing the boring Mandiant style name as well as a funny pun uh, with it. Yeah, yeah. Well, let's dig into the research here. Can you walk us through what exactly is going on with this attacker? Sure, absolutely. So uh, a pretty common 
method for initial access uh, with Cloud Threat Actors is just finding keys publicly accessible. And that's what this threat actor will do most commonly. They do have some exploits that they'll do against uh, vulnerable GitLab instances as well. But generally, even in those situations, the goal is find an access key that they can then use. Access keys, in, again, in general, are just so prevalent publicly. Uh, everybody knows like GitHub uh, and the like. Uh, you know, They uh, occasionally will have you know, keys leaked to GitHub or other code repositories. But there's other places that people don't really even uh, think about, like Android applications. When you're packaging up your Android application, oftentimes uh, organizations bake their keys right in. And uh, threat actors uh, with uh, just basic knowledge of strings and a regex can grab those keys real easily and uh, leverage those. And that's what's happening here uh, initially. They get a key. Now they're going to see what they can do with it. Um, and for this red actor, the reconnaissance is mostly done again with uh, GUI tools, hence the uh, uh, GUIVAL name. Uh, so they'll throw it into a utility they call S3 browser. Uh, it's a, a particular version as well, which is kind of interesting. It's a, a version from like January of 2021 that they've never updated. Hmm. So it's a S3 browser 9.5.5. It's a pretty common utility that some admins will use for uploading and modifying files in S3. But uh, what they use it for instead is, well, sure, they're going to look at S3 and see what's available in there. But it has some basic tooling for uh, modifying and interacting with IEM, the Identity Management Solution for AWS. Yeah, so they'll they'll take uh, IEM portion of that and it's... Uh, for us on the detection side, because that's what I care about most is like, how do we detect these in the, in the future? S3 browser usage for you know, downloading files, uploading files, common that organizations around the world will, will do that. S3 browser usage for interacting with IAM, uh, very rarely do we see uh, anybody that's doing that that's not doing it for malicious purposes. So oh, um, it always ends up being this group there. So once they're in, what are they after? Uh, ultimately, they want to be able to deploy EC2 instances to do their crypto mining on. So they're going to uh, do everything they can to lead up to that. So if if the credential that they first have doesn't have the uh, permissions to do EC2 instances, uh, to run an EC2 instance, they're going to escalate their privileges. They're going to look for uh, methodologies to uh, make sure that they can stay in the environment while doing this as well. Oftentimes, at least in cloud, Identities are just grossly overprivileged. So they don't have to do a lot of privilege escalations in general, but occasionally they do. Uh, and in one of the instances, uh, they had a read-only credential and uh, that read-only credential had access to S3 buckets. Uh, they searched through those S3 buckets, looking through flat files, found a Terraform TF state file, which is a juicy target for a lot of threat actors uh, because it often contains credentials and other information about the environment. Um, and they grab that, so now they have administrative you know, privileges. Um, once they have administrative privileges in the environment, they want to make sure that um, if somebody else discovers this key that they discovered, um, or uh, a defender finds out that they have access to this compromised credential, that they have another way back in. So they'll create other users, create other access keys, or uh, in certain situations where they want to you know, be low and slow and, and go below the radar a bit more, they look for existing identities that uh, don't have login profiles set, meaning that they can't log into the AWS management console. Maybe they only have access keys associated with them. 
And what they'll do is they'll create a login profile for that existing identity, essentially taking over whatever permissions that that identity has. And the reason that you go about that is a lot of organizations, while like detection in the cloud is really low bar, in, in my opinion, what a lot of organizations do pretty well is monitoring new IAM users that are created, new access keys that are created. But uh, not many organizations organizations are, are watching for when a uh, existing user's password is reset or a login profile is created for them when they didn't have one uh, previous. Uh, so it's a mm. way for them to fly under the radar there. Are most people looking for any type of privilege escalation? Like you're saying, if, if I've assigned someone your read-only access and that gets flipped to where they can suddenly write, am I likely to get an alert about that? Uh, not in any native solutions in the cloud. Um, a, a good, um, mature organization is probably monitoring that a little bit better. But generally, no, it just doesn't happen. They're not monitoring for big changes. And uh, in addition to that, like I mentioned before, like they don't even really need to like, go that route often because everything's so overprivileged. When we look across all of our clients um, that we've ever had, we see that you know, roughly 4% of the assigned permissions uh, that an identity has are ever used. Uh, to hmm. you know, give, it, give you an example of, of how uh, grossly overprivileged, and that's in, to include um, you know, your CSPMs, your, your, uh, uh, your security vendors in your cloud are, are also overprivileged grossly. Wow. So they're in your environment here and they're set on doing some crypto mining. What, what sort of infrastructure do they set up for themselves to do that? Yeah, so uh, that's the beauty of the cloud, right? So now that they're uh, in the AWS Management Console, they have the ability to spin out EC2 instances. They're just going to go region by region, switching and uh, deploying as many as uh, your resource constraints allow. And they're going to be spinning up big EC2 instances too. So uh, from a size-wise, these are all in the large to extra, extra large range. But to put that in perspective... These are machines that cost, you know, roughly, you know, five to fifty dollars a day versus um, maybe smaller machines that are, uh, you know, not even a dollar uh, a day. So they're spinning mm-hmm. up big EC2 instances to do their um, their crypto mining, and uh, occasionally, again, they'll they'll reach resource limitations that uh, a client will have set on a region, uh, and then they'll just switch over to uh, US West, and then they'll switch over to AP South, and so on. Keep going. Um, they don't even really um, do a whole lot of profiling first to see which regions have what resources uh, available. They just kind of go and deploy as much as they can. And uh, once they hit a limitation, that's when they stop. And now a word from our sponsor, Six Sense. SixSense provides award-winning cloud-based automated endpoint and vulnerability management solutions to streamline IT and security operations. With its advanced platform, businesses gain complete visibility and control over their infrastructure, reducing IT and security risks and optimizing operational efficiency. With SixSense, you'll get real-time alerts, risk-based vulnerability prioritization and remediations, and an intuitive automation and orchestration engine so you can focus on your core business goals, confident in the knowledge that your enterprise is secure, compliant, and running smoothly. To learn why enterprises choose SixSense, visit SixSense.com.
So would it be fair to say that once they're in and up and running, that they're they're not trying to be particularly stealthy? Um, yeah, I, I would say they don't have to be. You know, attackers uh, will will work only as hard as they have to, and and mm. again, just a real low bar on detection in general in cloud environments. There's so much activity, so much log data. And just not a lot of uh, folks have gone down the path of really building up a uh, a big detection response program in in the cloud. They don't have to uh, you know take a whole lot of steps because uh, oftentimes they're not noticed until um, somebody gets a big bill. Right, <laughs> a big bill indeed. It could be oh super big. Yes, we've had uh, clients where um, you know hundreds of thousands of dollars uh, are out the door before they notice. In terms of, of how long they're able to stay in an environment, do you have any sense for you know, what a typical occupation is for them before somebody catches on and boots them out? Yes. Yeah, so um, I, I guess this might be a little bit of a bias uh, because we, we monitor for them pretty heavily in our clients. So um, when, as soon as they are in, we, we notice them uh, because they have a very specific set of TTPs that uh, we monitor for. Um, so we're able to get them out of there pretty quickly, but there are situations where uh, we'll plug into a client and do our you know, 90, 90 day back scan and, and start seeing evidence that, oh, they've been here already. They've been here a while. So yeah, in, in some environments, we're talking months and in, in others, we're catching them as they're deploying their stuff and trying to um, you know eradicate them from the environment before they can do too much damage, which is actually another interesting thing about these guys is... Uh, they, they don't give up. A lot of threat actors, like uh, from back in my Mandiant days, anytime we'd run into Fin5, as soon as they saw a Mandiant agent touch the box, they're gone. They'll come back eight months later once uh, Mandiant's done with their investigation and, and try again. Whereas uh, you know these guys, they're fighting every step along the way. They're not just uh, you know fighting, but also like monitoring what you're doing. So they'll they'll look at cloud law, uh, uh, cloud trail logs themselves to see, oh, what what steps is uh, this organization doing to try to stop me to try to get me out of this environment, and how can we get around those? Do you have any sense for who's behind this? What, what, what part of the world they're coming from? Yeah, all the traffic sources out of Indonesia. It's it's hard to say. Obviously, like in a world where you know VPNs are everywhere. They could be anywhere in the world, uh, but I would I would put my bets on Indonesia, especially given that you know over the last two years we see them only from these very two specific uh, ASNs. The timeframes that they do their work in is kind of after hours for Indonesian um, working hours, which uh, leads me to think it's hey somebody gets done with their uh, their job at work and uh, him and his uh, friends or them and their friends. Um, then start doing their after hours, more lucrative financially uh, job there. And do you have any sense for what kind of numbers we're talking about here in terms of a take? Yeah, that's that's an interesting one. Uh, I don't have specific numbers here. Here's what I will say. Um, you know, from my perspective, Permiso, uh, where I work now, we're a relatively small company, a recent startup. If we're coming across these uh, folks uh, a half a dozen times over the course of a year, um, that gives you a good indication of how prevalent they may be everywhere. Monitoring some of their wallets, uh, it looks like they've done well, but it's hard to say uh, how well without uh, having a bit more data points. Yeah. So what are your recommendations then for folks looking to protect themselves against this? How, how should they come out that? Yeah, so um, a few things. 
obviously monitoring for compromised credentials is a place where I would focus a whole lot of efforts because this is where everybody's getting their initial access, not just Guivo, but Team TNT, all the various threat actors out there uh, that are you know, commoditizing the cloud space. You know, they're all getting in via compromised credentials. So knowing what different access looks like, knowing what different activity looks like, and understanding what signals are associated with trying to gain access, maintain access, escalate privileges, those things are really important to monitor in your cloud environments. Uh, so I guess that would be kind of number one uh, there. And then in addition to that, you know, implementing least privilege is really actually relatively easy to do in the cloud. You have all the data to be able to make those decisions. It's just kind of hard to manage for all your individual identities. So I definitely recommend every client I ever look at in their environment grossly overprivileged on every identity, every credential that leads to situations like this, where you know somebody can get in and grab account that maybe isn't meant to do EC2 things, but has that permissions anyways, and uh, be able to uh, you know spin that up. So implementing least privilege super important. When we start measuring kind of maturity in the cloud, we measure kind of human access to machine access, and uh, you'll notice um, as you start seeing more mature organizations that infrastructure as a code is a really prevalent uh, change. No human change ever occurs. In fact, in some of our more mature environments that we monitor, there's never a console login, right? Very, except for break glass situations, it doesn't really occur. So keep traveling on that maturity curve. Get yourself to a point where you're not doing a whole lot of human manual change in your environment. And it's all uh, done through infrastructure as code. To what degree do you think that these folks are, are sophisticated in their targeting or, or are they perhaps opportunists? Definitely opportunists. That they're just, whatever keys they can find, they're going to they're gonna give it a go. They're going to try. So definitely opportunistic there. As far as sophistication in general goes, it's something I kind of battle with with these guys. Oftentimes you associate GUI tools with uh, people who maybe are less skilled. Um, I think we uh, it used to have a somewhat derogatory term of like gooey jockeys right. back in the day, right? Right, um, right. You know, things like that. But uh, at the same time, they're doing things that are very smart as well. Like when they get into an environment, they're tailoring their attack to that environment. So if they're going to create a new user, they're going to look at what your existing users are named. In one situation, they had uh, like an IT audit, an external audit. Um, so they they saw that, hey, they're just adding this uh, suffix of underscore audit at the end of all these accounts. We're going to make our own. We'll call it sec underscore audit. Um, so they're doing some smart things as well. But <laughs> on, uh, I guess the other side of that too, because they're using um, S3 browser as their tool set, they oftentimes are moving a little too fast for their own good and leave defaults in. So... One of the first times I realized we were definitely looking at the same group again um, was when I saw uh, them try to create a policy, but they left the template of your bucket name you know, here in, in the resource section of that policy. And we'd seen that in a previous instance of them as well. And uh, yeah, they're just moving too fast uh, sometimes uh, for, their, for their own good. I'm curious, you know, from a personal point of view, for you as a researcher, how does a group like this rank? Is this a, the type of organization that it's fun to chase down? Um, interesting. Yeah. So I would say as far as cloud attacks go, this is a, a funner one 
any investigation is always fun on my side. Not always great for you know the client when you have to deal with it. But there's so much, um, the most prevalent attacks that we see in cloud right now are more crypto mining, but in an automated fashion. And also um, SES, uh, simple email service um, you know, for sending uh, mass mail or mass text messages uh, abuse. And those are so automated to the point where you know exactly what API calls are going to come in what order and what timing. And uh, it kind of gets monotonous from uh, a personal stance where I, I, I don't want to deal with those types of cases anymore. It's like kind of back in the old Mandiant days where... I don't really want to do another <laughs> ransomware case. Can I have one of the more fun ones uh, this time? Yeah, so Guivel, on the other hand, it's always a little bit different. Uh, and they're always uh, adaptable. And they're also fighting back when we're trying to eradicate them from the environment as well. So again, while not great for clients, fun for a researcher, for an incident response person. Our thanks to Ian All from Permiso's P0 Labs. The research is titled Unmasking Guiville, Financially Motivated Cloud Threat Actor. We'll have a link in the show notes. And now a message from Cyberbit. Mastering cybersecurity is like mastering a sport. You build muscle memory through rigorous practice. Then you train as a team to foster cohesion while operating under pressure. Like athletes, cybersecurity professionals thrive on hands-on simulation. But traditional courses, certifications, and open-source labs won't build you a winning team. You need Cyberbit. Cyberbit offers a hyper-realistic simulation environment for your SOC, IR, and C-suite to refine your skills all using the market-leading SIMs, EDRs, firewalls, and WAFs they use every day. CyberBit is offering CyberWire listeners a free live-fire exercise. Sign up your team now at cyberbit.com slash cyberwire. The CyberWire Research Saturday podcast is a production of N2K Networks, proudly produced in Maryland out of the startup studios of Data Tribe, where they're co-building the next generation of cybersecurity teams and technologies. This episode was produced by Liz Irvin and senior producer Jennifer Iben. Our mixer is Elliot Peltzman. Our executive editor is Peter Kilpie, and I'm Dave Bittner. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.